0: Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard.
1: Hi, welcome to this Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with Ben Pulpit, who is from SailPoint. How are you doing, Ben? Tell us a bit about your, your background and your secret of what makes you tick.
0: So, yeah, good morning, Ronan. How are you doing? Uh, Great to talk to you today. So, um, as you said, I'm from SailPoint. Uh, I look after the uh, identity platform here. Uh, I've been with the company uh, just over two and a half years. Uh, Background's been in uh, sales, been in marketing. I ran a software development company. I've done some technical side of the business as well. Uh, And I find myself uh, now in the sort of running the platform and being responsible for uh, our messaging and our position across the Europe, Middle East and Africa market.
1: And I bet that's that's fun and challenging to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it used to be until about seven weeks ago until they stopped flying. I used to... Most of my time uh, in and out of airports and uh, all over the uh, the, uh, the region. Obviously, that's now been curtailed, and uh, you are discovering the joys of virtual meetings and virtual events, which is always a bit fun. But uh, yeah, so I've uh, had the opportunities to speak at uh, conferences in Germany, South Africa, France, Australia as well. So it's been, uh, let's say, at the moment, uh, that's all virtual, but hey, you know, uh, needs must, and obviously, the situation is uh, more important that we keep everyone safe.
1: Yeah, it was a bright side, less airplane food, anyway.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that is the benefit of that yes it's quite interesting isn't it when you look at the flights over the over a and there's hardly anything at the moment over europe and then yeah. you look at north america and they're still flying everywhere but uh, yeah so um, but uh, really pleased to have a chat with you today and it's a shame we couldn't have done it face to face but uh, yeah. happy to do this at least we can do it virtually that's the yeah. important thing with technology
1: know, yeah and the main thing is as i said with technology this we can do a lot more remote working which is great because i'm used for that because where, where i what i do my stuff i work wherever there's wi-fi so to me, it's no big deal. But others, a, it's, a, it's a change to their culture. It's a shock.
0: Yeah, you know, look, if you look at the, you know, pre-pandemic, I think it was 16% of the workforce were regular home workers. Uh, statistics are showing that that's now over 80% of organisations have had to shift that that remote working. Uh, and that's had a significant uh, impact on organisations. And, you know, I use the analogy, it's a bit like in the building, at the break glass, you know, people have just, you know got people up and running the product productivity and getting people access has been more important than some of the security and I think that's going to be a challenge as we start to come out of this but look um, you know 80 over 80% of people are working remotely I think there's not going to be the normal again I think you're going to see more and more remote working uh, interesting I don't know if you saw the Zuckerberg comment he reckons that by 2022 50% of the world population will will be remote working and you've got countries such as Italy and Spain and France who are Remote working was never considered an option, really. Yeah. And they've now all adapted, and they're now embracing it. So I think there's going to be a massive shift to this. Uh, I had a friend of mine, interestingly, he's a dispatch controller in London, and he was telling me that um, uh, up until about sort of – Three weeks ago, they were dispatching 500 laptops a day out to the suburbs in London yeah. and Kent and Surrey and surrounding areas just to get the bankers and people online because obviously no one was in in London and you know that's going to have a massive impact on the whole cyber impact and people working from home.
1: Yeah, because the moment I guess if you're working in an office, most times you're going to be using a desktop, and suddenly yeah. you're told you work from home, and your idea is, well, I can't use my home computer because that's being used by the family; it's not secure enough. So you've suddenly got to ship out all these these laptops to make sure that on them is software they need to work securely as well. And that's a challenge.
0: Yeah, you know, if you think about it, you know, we're we're in identity governance, so we, we see the new perimeter is the human. You know, if you, as you said, people are now working at home, you know, 80% of people are working at home. Where's the firewall? The firewall's gone. You know, people are now getting access, as you said, through uh, devices such as mobiles, through their own computers, and as people are throwing out uh, corporate computers. So your identity is becoming the new perimeter. People need to know okay, who are you? What have you got access to? How did you get that access? And actually, more importantly now, what are you doing with that access? Uh, because, you know, the old day when I used to come in and I would be protected by this firewall have gone, and, and they probably, at least, as I said, won't come back in, in the normal. So actually having control over the identities in your organisation, and those identities could be employees, partners, contractors, contingent workers, is going to become critical, and that's what we've been about, and we see people are now sort of saying – I've had the firewall in there, but actually I now need to get control and uh, and have governance over who's got access and how have they got access. And that's, you know, we're starting to see the the, you know, the identity is becoming the new security perimeter for organizations.
1: Yeah, and also, I guess, if you're from home and you're using basically a home broadband connection, sometimes that broadband connection won't accept any firewalls you, you, you put on there because you can't access the modem properly.
0: Yeah, you know, look, you know, I, was, I heard you talking to Will from PwC, and we do a lot of work with the PwC team. But, but you know, if you think about it, uh, bring your own device was what, you, you know, if I recall you use a Mac, and I've been a Mac user now for 10 years, and I brought my own device to the office. But now I'm actually not only bringing my own device, I'm bringing my own network, potentially through the Wi-Fi, as you said, you can connect through Starbucks. But more and more, you know, 70%, 80% of people who are now remotely connected are going to be using their own Wi-Fi. Do they have the VPN? Now, some large corporations may have that VPN, but you still got all the, uh, the, the the security aspects around that. Okay, now I've got someone coming in. Is it the right person coming in? Do I know it's that right person? Can I challenge that person? Do Is the activity that they're doing at the right time? You know, I don't know about you, but ever since I've worked from home, I sometimes, you know, you take a couple of hours off in the afternoon and then you re-log on back in the evening. Well, actually, now organisations are having to address that That. More and more people are balancing their access into the systems, perhaps outside of normal office hours. So, how do you manage that access? Is it appropriate they should be doing that? And you know, how do you then get control over all the information and applications and data that they've got and they're now accessing remotely?
1: And also, the biggest problem for me is if you're using home, your home system for, for Wi Fi, uh, you're going to get a lot of people in, around the country doing that. So, protection nature is going to go right down as well
0: you're going to have a load of issues around access access with the Wi-Fis and people are doing that you know as uh, I don't know about you but I've got kids at home and you know I'm competing Wi-Fi with them over you know Fortnite and everything else so you know people are having to manage that and you know do you start to put encryption on the Wi-Fi well make you could argue that but then you've got to look at how does that impact some of your social uh, activities around things such as Netflix and other bits and pieces so you know people will just humans naturally you know when you, you, you you're talking to Will um, and I can't remember the other guy who we were talking to earlier from the GCHQ I think uh, um, Chris, Chris Greeny yeah. you know people are naturally will just do what's easiest Running, right they'll yeah. just oh I can get onto the system when I go in and they won't necessarily give consideration am I, is that encrypted is it is it uh, secure am I actually accessing the system uh, you know we see some interesting you know I don't know if you read this that the, the recent survey the most used password today is still 123456
1: I'm not surprised.
0: And you know, you've got people saying, "Well, yeah, I'll use that because no one's going to guess that." Well, that's the most used password still today. Or as you and I know, in the old days, on the admin, in the old network days, you know, admin password, and what was the, the the client was uh, the password for the uh, admin client was password. Yeah. And that's still that's still the same issue. And. You know, the moment you've got people over that un- unencrypted accessing systems, you're going to have hackers sniffing that, people doing that. How are you then going to protect your applications and your data if someone does get in and then control that and, and eliminate that access quickly?
1: I remember years ago, if you walk into, into an IT help desk office in a company, you'd see loads of, loads of post-its around the uh, one the uh, security guy's desk with passwords. He's yeah. remembered so many that he can't remember them all, so he has that there on there, and I guarantee the one that's easy to hack, is his own password.
0: Yeah, I I, I was with an account, we were chatting once, this was a few years ago, and I said to them, uh, we were walking through the admin, and someone shouted out across the office, you'll love this, Renan, what's the password for the NT admin server? And it was shouted across the office, yeah. and I'm stood there going, I now know the password for the NC admin server of this particular bank. And I was just in, it was just laughable. But unfortunately, you know, that has been, and, and it sometimes still is a reality of what people are having to do. You know, we were working with a, with a large financial client in the city recently, and um, one of our guys was doing some work with them around uh their unstructured data so you know, who's got access to their unstructured files and folders what they're doing with that what's in those files and folders you know interestingly the statistics are showing that for every terabyte of of unstructured data which is word powerpoint all those sort of files so it's about twenty thousand files that contain sensitive data which is gdpr compliant and he found on this particular server two spreadsheets and in those two spreadsheets was the password for every bank server in an open yeah. unencrypted access file and he showed this to the guys and said yeah this is the sort of data that people are storing and got access to and you imagine if, if someone was able to get hold of your identity log in and get access to that they could potentially hold that bank to ransom for as long as they wanted to and i think people have got to sort of wake up that you know this crisis has exposed uh, people's access we've seen a lot of people do break glass but as we come out of this, organisations won't be forgiven for data breaches and, and, and failing their audits around access controls. They've got to get control of that.
1: You know, think think of the Sony ha- uh, hack a few years ago, where it, it, it all the passwords, name was stored in one file, where everyone could access.
0: Absolutely, and we see that more and more. You know, people are sort of saying, oh, well, uh, it's stored," and then you say, "Well, actually," and uh, you know, don't forget, a lot of hackers will sit for a period of time. They are quite happy to sit in an organisation doing nothing. They're just surfing around and waiting to try and find where they can get to. So actually having that control over your identity and saying, okay, this is Ronan. I know who he is. I've got. I know what access and passwords and policies he's got. And if he starts to deviate from that, or he starts to do unusual behaviour, you need an identity governance system that says, right, okay, I need to start taking actions because that behaviour is unusual. Yeah. Um, and that now starts to sort of drive. You know, we're starting to see where artificial intelligence and machine learning is now starting to come into that. And what you know, we have a phrase in in Sailpoint. You know, can you detect the outlier? You know, there's a lot of. You, if you've got a thousand people in your organisation trying to control all that and do that through a manual system or through what we were to define as traditional identity governance, is 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 struggling because people would just automate automatically approve access. Where if you start to look at what machine learning and artificial intelligence is starting to bring in and start what we call this augmented and this predictive identity capabilities, you're starting to be able to say, of those thousand users, there's 950 of those are great. Fine, I can live with those. I know what that is. But those 50 out there they are outliers, something's different about them and I need to understand what it is and why and do they need that because outliers inherently present risk and that's where the hackers are going to go and target. They're going to target someone who's got a little bit more access, who's got slightly different because then they can get potentially access and, and more administrative rights into the systems.
1: Yeah, for me it's scary. If somebody in, in, in a bank has gotten their old legacy software and they've passed on a modern system onto it, that's the way you, you you get in because legacy software is a place easy hackable
0: yeah but you know i think you're gonna see I, I think as we come out of this crisis uh in this pandemic you know there's I, I i sort of define this like a bit like the perfect storm i think will was talking you know, i think you've got sort of three crescendo storms brewing at the moment you've got a recession coming no matter what anyone says we're going to go into a global recession you know the u.s it's estimated their market's going to shrink you've got Governments and the change in workers, um, you know, the furloughs. You started to see it this morning, you know, the the UK Chancellor's announced that he's going to start saying to companies, well, you need to start supporting the furlough and paying companies. Well, actually, if companies can't, they're going to start laying people off. So you're going to have disgruntled employees who've been loyal, who've been furloughed, but suddenly find themselves out of work. And then you've got all these situations where people have just bypassed their security policies and basically have opened themselves up to productivity to get people running, but their resiliency, their capabilities are struggling. So these three storms are brewing, and actually, you know, recession, you're going to have potentially a massive influx of potentially people who are going to be either laid off from guns. How are you going to be able to address that? You know, you're going to have to potentially downscale, you're going to have to manage access, and you're going to have to make sure that your policies are, are in place to protect you because the auditors – the, gov- uh, the government and also more importantly, your customers aren't going to forgive you when you get breached. And you know we've seen the impact of what breaches has on organisations and the financial impact.
1: And also you got a scenario that if an employee is told he's he's, uh, he's uh, been let go and now disgruntled, there's a chance he'll know how to hack in and uh, and take things as well.
0: Well, you've seen that, haven't you? Yeah. And uh, what was the? Uh, is it the Jet Two guy who was basically? He, they caught him just in time, didn't yeah. they? He was a d- database administrator. He full ad, full admin rights. So they didn't. They, they, they didn't take those away, and he was. They were just fortunate enough to catch him just before he started to bring the whole company down. And you know that's something that you know that ability that workflow and join a move a lever process is something that a lot of organisations. Are very poor at you know they join they get access and then as people move and collect admin access rights throughout their organisation, if they don't monitor they don't control that as they start to then exit out then you potentially expose yourself to a significant risk with people who have access to systems that potentially you'd want to you'd want to withdraw from.
1: It's the kind of thing you might see in a Hollywood movie, but in reality it's becoming more factual now. Yeah, you know, we
0: well look at it uh, cyber crime. Um, is if it was a country, it would be the eighth in GDPR. It would be bigger yeah. than Spain. Uh, the chance of being caught for a cyber attack, according to the World Economic Forum, is 0.05%. Uh, I wrote an article. If Pablo Escobar were alive today, he'd move out of the cocaine market and he'd gone into cybersecurity because it's, it's far more lucrative and he's got far less chance of being caught. So, you know, it is a big industry. And people uh, have got to be cognizant of the fact that COVID has opened up a phenomenal opportunity for cyber attacks. Yeah. Um, I, know, I don't know if you, re- but I read the World Economic Forum Global Risk Report. The fourth and fifth term in terms of likelihood to happen to organizations is state of fraud and theft and cyber attacks. And that, w- and when that report was released in February, you know, the pandemic of COVID wasn't even really showing up. And look what COVID's done in seven, eight weeks.
1: Yeah, and I remember years ago, I was in college 10 years ago doing a post-grad collecting computing. And at that time, Pirate Bay said they were going to have servers in balloons over in the air so they couldn't be hacked. And also because when they're in the air, they're basically in no man's land so they can't be touched because they aren't British the sovereignty. And I was thinking, what if somebody was to do the same thing but with submarine in Antarctica and say to the mafia, we'll store all your data on cloud servers based in Antarctica, which is basically a, a, a land no one is allowed to claim as their own. And that's what you're talking now about uh, how people are actually uh, looking at uh, with cybersecurity. That can we do? That was an idea then. Right now, it's going to be a lot more easier to happen.
0: Yeah, you know, you, you think about what people are doing. You know, the, the, the cost effectiveness now of the cloud storage. You know, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, you know, I subscribe to Microsoft Office three six five on my home computer, and I was given a terabyte of storage in the cloud to use. Yeah. And, and more and more people are storing stuff up there. Uh, that information and organizations see that the the opportunity to consolidate and downsize some of their data centers and server consolidations and they're putting that data in there. now that data is still subject to access controls could be subject still subject to gdpr and as I said potentially you have significant amount of data that's stored that contains sensitive information and that information needs to be managed and the way to do that is to say okay who's got access to that data who owns that data should the people who've got access have access, and then what are they doing with that access? And then audit and control that on a regular basis.
1: I'm seeing in the future, I interviewed a company a couple of years ago that developed storage devices, storage data on DNA. <laughs> so you can have your own physical uh, uh, DNA drive in, in, in your apartment or, or house or office. When I was doing this interview with the guys, I was saying, for example, it was possible now if you wanted to... Uh, so years ago, when you got an iPod, you could store all of Bob Dylan's song on an iPod. But what yeah. they're doing, you can store every song in the genre he's in on this device.
0: Well, if you you remember how Jobs positioned it, you know, were, were, you know, a thousand albums in your pocket. Yeah. You remember that when he released it. I always remember that. I love Steve Jobs. Um, so sort of the way he presented. I read a IDC report recently. In 2016, we were average the average num- amount of data that we were generating a day was 44 billion gigabytes yeah they reckoned by 2025 we will be generating over 463 billion gigabytes of data per yeah. day so the growth in data and storage and the other th- the other thing that's interesting to add to that is in 1980 uh, no, 19, yeah, 1985 the cost of one gigabyte of storage, was $400,000. The cost of one gigabyte of storage today is less than two cents. Yeah. So we are going to be generating and more data, more application data, more content data, more user data, and that data needs to be controlled and managed and protected as, as a sensitive application, such as your ERP, your supply chain, your finance application, because the content and the data in there potentially still exposes organizations. And, you know, if you haven't got control of who's got access to it and how they're controlling it, then you are effectively exposing yourself to potential risks. And even more so when, as we discussed at the start of the interview, 80% of people are now coming in. From home, and that's going to probably be the new norm, at least for the next six to twelve months, and and even longer.
1: Yeah, I think in the long term it's going to be a biometrics tech. The moment I've got an Apple Watch, and because I'm wearing a wrist, it knows my, my MacBook knows it's me, so it, it unlocks my own MacBook because it knows I'm wearing the uh, I'm wearing the watch. Yeah. So in the future, things like that or, or ring fobs that you have in your hand that knows who you are, they'll be used to actually log into things.
0: Yeah, and and you think about that which is, you know, your Apple Watch like yourself, I'm a, I'm a bit of an Apple fan, so I log in and everything. What but but it's a bit like the whole concept around, you know, your access into your building. Access into the system is fine. But once you're in, do we does your Apple Watch and, you know, how are you controlling? Where are you going? Who you? W- what access to the systems? What are you doing in those systems? How are you? Do- how did you get access? Is that access uh, in compliance with reg- regulatory requirements? Are we potentially got a segregation of duty? Actually, is your access making you a risk because you're an outlier? And if you're an outlier, do I then need to perhaps put some more controls, or I put a a, a stronger certification process around Ronan that says, look. The role he does requires this level of access. It's clearly, under, we understand that. But do you know what? I want to check his access on a far more regular basis than perhaps the other 900 people in the Irish Times who've just got standard access. And, you know, that that's where... Identity starts to interface with things such as single sign-on and multi-factor authentication platforms, where they let you in, and once we once you're in, we'll then control what you can do, how you can do it, what, who uh, how you got it, what you're doing with it, and actually, as you change your um, role in the organisation, and as you move from you know whether you're you're in the tech times, whether you're you then suddenly move to a sports reporter, or I move from marketing back into sales, the system says, well, actually, you don't need access to those systems any longer, and I'm going to take that away, and I'm going to do that automatically because actually, what I want to do is manage that risk because why would i give you access to keep letting you have access to multiple systems that you potentially may not access and need which potentially then is a risk that i don't need
1: yeah because i'm guessing basically it should be built into it that whenever you get a promotion and the update your records on the system that should then tell you tell the system should do the permission that he, he has is, the, is not going to be there anymore change what he can access
0: Yeah. And and, and we start, you know, we we have a phrase in that, you know, we call that what people have at the moment is what we call assisted identity. That should be, but it potentially still requires someone to go in and do that. So your line manager to go in and go, oh, Ronan doesn't report to me any longer. He now reports to to Audrey. So guess what? Audrey needs to do that. Yeah. people are overburdened, they're over, you know, people have got too much on, you know, if you give someone 100 permissions to certify, they'll just go select all certify, you know, you and I have seen that, you know, Yeah. so what we're starting to see is this augmented identity and, and predictive identity that says, ah, as Ronan's changed, guess what, the system starts to provide that as a, okay, his role's changed, his access has changed, I, need, uh, I will now highlight that as a, as a, an individual or an identity that needs to be reviewed by the individual and actually ultimately you move to what we define a, as an autonomous identity system that says, do you know what, I'm going to take that access away from Ronan and if you want that access, you've got to ask for it and you've got to justify that through a process so as to protect that.
1: You don't want somebody like, for example, somebody who's, who's head of uh, of the help desk sitting being promoted to a different role and then he's accessed everything he had before in his job, which he yeah. doesn't need anymore. And that, yes, yes, a lot of companies still do that. They don't uh, they? don't decide. Uh, they, they give you, they keep you with the uh, position you've always had, and th- don't change it.
0: Yeah, you, you see, it. you and I have probably seen it, and work for organisations where you know you see it, application creep. You know, you join in as a as a particular role, you move roles, you get promoted, and how many times does your applications actually get taken away? Well, Very, very rarely. Well, that's where identity governance starts to come play a part in that says actually we you don't need that you know we, we, we've had some interesting conversations in telling about this whole zero trust model yeah you know if you if you take away the perimeter you've got no firewall now so what do you trust well actually you don't trust anyone yeah. so what do I want to mean by that well we're, we're stu- you know one of the the areas that we're actually exploring at the moment is if you don't log on to a particular system Ronan yeah and the governance system doesn't see you log on for two weeks, it will just terminate your access. It will just it will kick you off the system. If you then want access, you have to go through a process to request access. But the system is starting to now be intelligent that says, well, actually Ronan hasn't accessed this application for two weeks. Guess what? We're gonna deprovision him. We're going we still have the 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 platform still retains the intelligence that says, I know what he had access to. But he can't access you. So when you go to log in, it says, sorry, your access has been denied. You need to go through the process to reapply um, for it. And then you actually get that built back in and, then it, and it gets reprovisioned. And you can start to see that, you know, when uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but um, I, I encourage my kids not to. But, you know, when they go on holiday, you know, that was one of the biggest areas of cyber criminals. Oh, you know, Ronan's announced he's going two weeks into Mauritius. Great. Well, guess what? Your applications or the systems don't go away. Well, actually, wouldn't you want a system that says... Well, he's gone on holiday, I'm just going to deprovision everything. So, even if someone did get hold of his identity and did be able to log into this he couldn't access anything anyway.
1: Yeah, and I'm thinking also long term, I said earlier by biometrics. Yeah. If you can tell by your heartbeat, it knows you're under pressure because you can tell basically somebody's got a gun or a knife to his throat and he's doing it against his will. You'll be able to detect basically by your heart rate that it's not normal heart rate, therefore, don't give him access.
0: There's a. There's a movie in there, Ronan, somewhere about that one, I could see. Yeah. <laughs> That's a Hollywood thing. But ultimately, you know, we, we understand people are under pressure. And, and if there are, you know, the biometric thing, there's always been that chat about someone cut your finger off or what have you. But, you know, you're starting to look, you know, not only what it is, what you know, you know, there's other technologies. You know, we're, we're doing a bit of work with some of the UEBA tools that start to look at, you know, user behavior and, and build that into the identity platform that says, okay, this behavior is abnormal. The login times are abnormal. The IP address is not right. So, guess what? I'm going to make a risk based decision on whether I actually even want to give this person access or I'm going to put a challenge response into that. And, and, you know, I think you're going to start to see more of that as, you know, there's the whole concept is password dead. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, I would argue password is still there. I think we're starting to put more and more security and more and more strength into it. But when you start to combine that with multi-factor and UEBA tools, you're starting to build all that picture around, okay, how you've come in, I've now got a bit more control over. Once you're in, I still, I still need that identity platform to manage that and, and help me orchestrate that as you go through the organization.
1: And if you're not sure, put it in a honeypot. So when they're in there, yeah. you can tell from behavior what they're looking for and who they are.
0: Yeah, we. I, I was chatting to a friend of mine who works for Cinec, which is an ethical hacking company, and they do a lot of that where, you know, they, they, they put the honeypots in for the ethical hackers to find and then, you know, actually expose that from a, a perspective around, OK, how did you get in? Was that through someone's login credentials? What did you do? How did you find that? And actually from that, then they can actually extract how they resolve that. Um, but put those honeypots in as a way of sort of seeing, you know, if that was open to that. And they use a, they, they're an ethical hacking company that do that, which is quite an interesting uh, area of where organizations are trying now to sort of say, well, I've got, I think I'm protected, but how do, you know, here's a, here's a honeypot trap. See if you can find it.
1: Yeah. I think many pots are going to be part of our daily lives from now on because of COVID because of COVID now you've got to make sure that whoever is accessing the issues, here they are. You can't take risks.
0: Absolutely. But I think, you know, we, you were talking about in one of your previous podcasts about education and cultural change. You know, people need to really, be, you know, I think it was one of the phishing attacks and you were sort of saying, you know, the training where someone clicks on the link, you know, I think you were using, I think it was with Will you sort of saying about, you, you send out a, a spoof uh, phishing email and click on it and then you phone them up and say, look, you clicked on this, did you know that? You know, you, it, it was a company test. Unfortunately, you failed. You know, here's some education that you need to go through. So I think you're going to see... Um, you know, the education of users is going to become even more critical. Around you know, uh, here at SailPoint, we have to go through every quarter. We go through a whole bunch of training around access and what we do, but making sure people are clear when they click the the link: is it who it is? It from it does that look right? Be ask yourself a question. That doesn't, if that doesn't look right, then guess what? Don't do it. It may be from your boss, but maybe ask the question. Maybe send that, that, that back to that because you, know, you and I know that the cost of a data breach has gone up from something like three point eight seven billion million, sorry, to mm-hmm. around about 8 million is the now the average cost of a data breach. And um, a recent report I was reading, uh, on average, it takes over 260 days for people to realize they've been breached. Well, that's oh, that's, that's longer than Tim Peake spent in space so people have got to get faster and more efficient at identifying uh, anomalous behaviour in their systems and, and over over provisioned and over access to people to, to protect themselves because again you know as we've seen the, the impact and the financial impact on organisations around data breaches and and being hacks is going to be critical and as you said as I said you know if organisations are going to start laying off staff you know what is it. Um, a third of staff in a recent study said that they would be quite happily, uh, I can't what was it, a third of people said that they would be quite happy to sell their identity or their login to something to a particular, to, to an organisation. So, you know, yeah. you've, got, you've got to look at how potentially sometimes, you know, it's not necessarily the bad guys, sometimes it's your internal staff or the um, the insider threat could be even, even greater for organisations.
1: Yeah, I guess basically it's, it's how how well do you we know and trust your employees? Because employees and your staff are the, are the human factor. That's the weakest link of anything. Yeah.
0: But then, that's, so that's why, you know, the whole this zero trust, this identity government, you know, you're putting a firewall around your identities and people might say, well, you know, that's, I've got 10,000 users. Yeah, fine, 10,000 users and all the connectivity and all the connections around that. You know, we were we were chatting um, uh One of the things we see quite a lot is what they call certification fatigue, where a senior manager gets 100 certifications around an organization that says, you know, certify the access to this for these users. Well, can you imagine if you put an access request and says, can you give me access to Active Directory? in the Irish times and your boss just approved that and suddenly you've got access to that. People need to be, people need to be far more diligent about what they're putting access requests into and questioning that, well, why is that person requesting that access? Is that access appropriate? And it may be, maybe you do need access to Active Directory, and well, guess what? I'm only going to give you access for five days. I'm only going to give you access for 24 hours. Once that's in, I'm going to deprovision that and having that identity platform being able to help with that is going to be critical for organisations, especially when you now, as you come out of this COVID crisis and you've gone through this break glass, so you've, you've made people productive, you've given them access, the auditors are still going to want to say, can you please now demonstrate you've met the compliance policies? You're under you're you're within your regulatory requirements. You know who you've got access and how are you managing that access? Because no one's going to forgive them when they say, "Oh, well, actually, we just did it to COVID and we have just given everyone access to the ERP system." Well, that's not a that's not going to be acceptable.
1: Yeah, because if you said you got a guy dealing with hundred of these a day, he's not going to have time to go back and and uh, after a while say to that person, "Actually, your access time is up." He he has time to do that. Whereas. Correct automatically if it's done via the system it, it, it can say well you get it for a week after the week it's cut off if you want it you have to reapply again
0: yeah or, or as, as i said you, you get the system to say guess what um time's up i'm going to revoke your access and i'm going to do it automatically mm-hmm. and as i said historically people have looked at identity governance and they've had a, you know, big programs of work we've done a lot of work with some of the irish banks some of the irish organizations um and, you know, they've, they've come to us and said, look, we've got this fatigue. How do we build in augmented and, and using AI and ML to help now eliminate that that certification fatigue? And rather than giving Ronan 100 certifications, let's give Ronan 20. And those are the key 20 that he's got to do. And actually, guess what? Someone, if, and if you can imagine you get those 20 on that single page, you're likely to read those and go, yeah, okay, I'll look at all those access. So that's sort of where we're starting to get to.
1: Yeah, and going back to identity governance... What exactly is that? People know actually what it is and how we can help them.
0: Yeah, so look, we're we're about, identity governance is about saying, okay, who are you and what access have you got? So uh, how did you get that access and is that access appropriate? And then what are you doing with that access? And we apply that across both applications, and those applications can be legacy in-house, cloud, uh, 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 mainframe applications, as well as cloud applications, so things such as Salesforce or um, Workday. Uh, So we look at, you know, how have you got access and what's what's your role within that access and is it appropriate? And then we apply that same principle then to all your data, so your structured and your unstructured data, which we see as as another area. And we look at data like you would look at a critical application. We say, Ronan's got access to that particular OneDrive, what's in that OneDrive, is there anything in there that's potentially sensitive, is it right that he's got access to that OneDrive, how did he get access to that, and what's he doing with that access, so that we can then control and govern that uh, that whole process. And once you get that in place, you can then apply your certification, you can then apply the, the, the policies that apply to that, and then start to say, okay, how do I augment that through provisioning, and then make sure that I've got um, things such as predictive capabilities to say, okay, as I move through the organization the governance platform is constantly monitoring and supporting the business and giving them the tools and the insights to say and the intelligence to say right ronan's access is still right still appropriate what he's doing is right let's that's someone that we can certify but ben's something he's done something different since the last time we gave him access he's got a bit more access into another system or his roles changed within the finance system he's now gone from accounts payable to accounts receivable and guess what He's got access to both components in the finance system. We've now got a big segregation, of duty issue here. How do we manage that? Yeah. So we do not only access into the system, but your role within that system, and we do that. And and, and and people will say to us, large enterprises are areas that we think, but we're seeing more and more of what we define as the, 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 the mid-market or the organizations of 500. You know, when you look at an organization of 500 users, and then if they've got 20 applications they have, you look at all, imagine all the connotations and the, the various uh, and roles that sit within that. That runs into thousands. How do you manage that? And that's where identity governance comes in.
1: Yeah, and I guess right now, as we're living in the COVID-19 world, Ben, and that's brought in a lot of challenges and issues, including economic ones, how can identity how can governance help us navigate through the impending, challenging times? And can you briefly run through an example of a possible scenario to help illustrate this?
0: Yeah, so look, if you've got a, let's take COVID, as you say, as a a great example at the moment. So, identity has become, as I said, this this new perimeter. So, as organizations now got all their remote workers, so how are you now going to put all the access policy controls around that? So, we've got an organization, one of our, our, our customers recently, when they shifted from, you know, they had to shift basically. 80% You know, 80% of their workforce had to go remote. Well, the way that they, they did was that they applied the policies around remote access and everything through their identity governance system and then applied that to those identities. So when the identities and when they were provisioned to then remote access, the governance system was aware of that, was able to adapt to that and was able to manage the controls of that. What that's now given them is insight into everyone and what they're doing. But more importantly, as they say, as they start to transition back to people to the work into the workplace, or as they start to downsize, They have the ability to start to remove access and and manage that uh, ability to control what people have access to in a way that allows them to mitigate that risk. And as I said, you know, in in this impending storm clouds that we see coming, there is unfortunately, Ronan, I think, going to be a significant number of people who are going to be made redundant. And there's going to be some disgruntled employees. There's going to be people who will feel aggrieved. And if organizations haven't got control over who's got access to their systems, I think we're potentially going to see far, far uh, significant breaches of uh, organizations' data and and systems that, you know, is going to potentially put them in um, conflict with the ICO and the the commissioner, GDPR, et cetera, and and also be held to ransom. You know, cyber, cyber criminals will use and exploit that. Someone's been made redundant and can't find a job or feels agreed, then if you haven't got control over who's got access to what, what they've got access to and how they're using it, then potentially you're exposing yourself to significant risk. And, and, then, and some people would say, yeah, but I've got that because I've got a single sign-on solution. And we go, okay, so you controlled access to the building through the front door, but what about through the back door? What about through your web applications? Do you know that they can still access the sales force or they can get in through another way? But if you take that identity governance platform, and you say, Ben's left the Irish Times and I remove his access and the system takes him out from everything. Yeah. So even in the backdoor system, suddenly I go oh, See, I know they won't. Have, they won't have fixed the Salesforce, and I go in and I log in to Salesforce. I spoof it through an IP. I maybe come in through a VPN, but I put my login credentials, and Salesforce goes, "Sorry, user account doesn't exist." you're you're out. That's the important thing. You're out of the systems, and I've now got governance and control over that.
1: It's like when you work in a company and you have a, a swipe card or a fob to get in and out. Once you're no longer employee, that's taken off you, so you can't produce again. And reality, like any government, when you're actually uh, left the, the job, plus permissions, should would take it off as well.
0: Absolutely. But you always see so many occasions where as you know we were talking about you know a couple of organizations that have been subject to you know disgruntled employees who are feel aggrieved don't feel they've got the right pay rise don't feel that they're now subsequently going to be made redundant potentially as a result of the the furlough schemes and the covid situation how are they then you know if I felt disgruntled you know and someone came to me and said hi you know look you know, I'll give you $500 for your, your login ID to your, uh, to your account. You might think, do you know what? I've got no no allegiance to that company. They're giving me no allegiance whilst my access card's been taken away. A hacker, as you and I know, will find a way in. But actually, if that identity has been managed effectively and has been deprovisioned from everything, and that I mean everything, I mean applications, Workday, ERP, SAP, Oracle databases, OneDrive, all your file shares, everything, and all that governance is then put in place, then you've got can say, right, I now know I've got them out, or I've, ma- I've managed their access, I am now can, can, can control then what I'm going to do with that. Any uh, As you know, any hole or any loophole can be punched through, and that's where you know the hackers will get in, and you've got to put that governance platform across all your applications, environments, and data.
1: And the worst scenario is if you have a hacker who gets access but decides to, to wait a year or two the, the user access, so during the year two, you've got lax forgotten the ex employee was working there. Suddenly yeah. you that these urban news and you think, well, how did that happen?
0: Well, that's where that's where we're starting to see this whole concept of this zero trust model coming in, which just says, do you know what? If you haven't accessed a particular application or system over a period of time, the government, the identity governance system will just deprovision you or will lock your access automatically. Uh, uh, and that's sort of uh, you know, even whether you're an administrative function or whether you're a, a a power user or just a general administrative user of a particular system, you know, that's where this augmented identity starts to build in and says, well, do you know what? I've got a timestamp. I know when you last access it, you have not access to that. I'm going to take that away because actually I'm going to mitigate my company against that potential risk. And that's where we're starting to see the predictive identity capabilities and this uh, augmented c- capability come in to say, let the machine and the AI tools start to help you do that and make recommendations. And then, then the evolution of that is it, the machines and the, the AI tools become intelligent enough to start to build an autonomous capability to do that. And you force someone back through the process. You and I know if you've been a hacker's is not going to start going into the system and start asking for password reset and access. If he can't get in, he's going to go elsewhere where he can get in. Yeah. And, you know, that's what companies need to do. Is It's a bit like the whole, the, you know, if, 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 if you make it difficult, you make it challenging for the hack. Uh, and that, that um, whether it be state-sponsored or just someone trying to break in, if you if you make it that hard, they'll find someone else to go to. Because that's, you know, why would I try and put all my energy into effort when I can't get through and I can go to someone else?
1: Because you said earlier, machine learning and AI. If they're doing the jobs that humans used to do, which is a tedious work of, of checking everyone's ID and all that, they're going to get lax. If they get 100 people a day applying for access to certain areas of the system, they're going to get lax and say, yeah, um, screw it, I'll let, them, I'll let them all give it. Whereas, if you let the AI machine learning do that, and then that person can <coughs> do the real job, there's less chance of this happening.
0: Yeah, so the machine learning capability is about saying, you know, the, the way we see AI and machine learning come into, the, into our, our, our augmented identity governance platform is initially the AI and machine learning aren't they're making recommendations, Ronan. They're saying, yeah. This is not a good idea, and this is why. So um, we we have a very interesting demo that we show, which is, you know, Ronan logs in, he makes a request to access a particular server. The the platform says only 6% of people with Ronan's identity credentials through his access type, his role, his uh, job, uh, where he fits in the organization, have access to this type of application. We recommend that this is not a good uh, recommendation. Now, there's nothing to stop your manager or whoever approves you overriding the system, yeah. but the system has now given you a recommendation which historically you wouldn't have had. Your manager or someone said, "Well, Ronald needs access to it. I'll approve him." The system is saying, "Now that what we're trying to do there is we're trying to challenge the human behaviour to say, we're giving you a, we're, we're telling you it's not a good idea." Now you and I, I've got kids. You know, you can tell kids it's not a good idea. They are still going to do it. And a manager still may do it, but now the system's got. Okay, I've made a recommendation. You've overridden me. I'm now going to highlight this as an outlier to the auditors and to the to the to the platform to say you need to potentially make sure that you manage this person slightly more effectively than perhaps you manage everyone else because his access is now enhanced and increased, and he's potentially an outlier to the business.
1: And also in long term, if there is a data breach, and you can order what what went wrong, if it's shown that 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 you're uh, manager override system and gave you access to something you shouldn't have got access to then you know where the fault is yeah
0: and you know you want to trace that back don't you when someone you know half the problems that most organizations have sony as we've mentioned there was a number of financial banks in south africa is tracking that back if you've got a governance platform that says actually i know what happened at this point in time this created uh, 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 a situation that created an outlier that's probably where the best place to start to look is. Um, But the AI at the moment, we're very clear in our view and our uh, recommendation from our AI platform is that it's making recommendations. It's constantly checking the system. At the moment, the platform is learning through its intelligence to say, Every organisation is different. The Irish Times policies and and access controls is is different to to the the Sunday Times, which will be different to sale points, which will be different to fuse boxes. So the machine is learning all the time and going, okay, This is your policy and I'm happy to make recommendations. As we evolve that, once you have the data, you have the intelligence, that's when you'll start to see the ability to turn on this what we call autonomous identity, where the machine will start to do that for you. And the auditors can say, okay, why were these 100 people? Well, actually, the machine will say they they were audited on the 1st of January. They were audited again on the 1st of July. There was no difference and no change in 99% of those users. Their access, their policies, their rights never changed. Why give it to Ronan to certify? We've certified that for you. But that 1% has changed. Ronan has certified that.
1: Yeah, I can see the future. be like Hal from uh, when they're asking, open the pod bay doors.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I think we're all seeing, you know, AI is building into our lives, you know, Amazon and uh, Netflix and those guys have been using AI and artificial intelligence, you know, how many recommendations, you know, do you go onto Amazon and suddenly, you know, they suddenly got, uh, you, 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 I was recently looking for a barbecue and next thing you know every time I go onto Amazon there's everything to do with barbecues, barbecue uh, mats, barbecue covers, you're sort of thinking okay yeah AI has picked up somewhere that I'm looking for something and, and but it is also is supporting and making our lives a little bit more efficient and, and giving us uh, potentially time back.
1: Yeah and getting back to governance, what other tools can be used alongside identity governance that have positive effect in business?
0: So we've got a lot of, uh, you know, single sign-ons, an obvious one, we do a lot of work with some of the single sign-on vendors and we work closely with those and and the privileged account vendors who do a lot of work around uh, access around privileged systems. And then we're starting to see things such as sort of the uh, um, what we would define as the UEBA and the robotic process tools are starting to be very much integrated into our platform so that, you know, the the governance of of an identity doesn't have to be an individual. We see an identity as uh, an employee a business partner a contractor a customer an rpa process all have all has an identity characteristic and all needs managing and all needs governing and all needs certification and the processes that are, sit across an identity governance platform so we see that as a critical Component. Uh, uh, so when we talk to um, people like Blue Prism and Automation Anywhere and some of those guys, we're talking about how we integrate with that. We do a lot of work with Netscope and some of their UEBA tools as well. So we work across a number of vendors. And what we've done as a platform, as an identity governance uh, engine, is we open up that API individual so that they can then start to consume that identity and the roles and the access and everything that goes around that. So, you know, those are some of the things. And then, uh, you know, as you would have, as I said earlier, some of the MFA tools such as Duo, we do a lot of work with this well and ubico etc
1: yeah, so i'm guessing from this we can take that sales point uh, main area expertise is identity governance
0: yeah that's that's it we're, we're the the intelligence the, the, the someone defined us once as the nervous system around who's got everything who's got access to it what are they doing and how are we managing that as, as we talked about you know some people are coming through the door through their access controls of their past but actually once they're in how are you governing managing controlling And and putting all the tools and the governance around that. And historically, you know, governance was probably around, well, actually, I'm going to govern my mainframe system, my financial applications, and maybe my ERP system, uh, and maybe my Oracle database. But actually now, governance and and identity is across everything. We're seeing it through CRM tools, HR tools. We're seeing it through... uh, Project management tools, uh, data. As I talked about, OneDrive, Google Drive, all those stuff. Governances need to be required because the amount of data and the amount of uh, activity that people are doing online is significant, and, and that exposes organisations to data breaches and to potentially hacks and, and people breaking in.
1: Yeah, guess me, data breach is something that when it happens, how long is it before you tell, tell your, your clients, customers? It could be three, four years at times.
0: Well... Well, under the ICO regulations, once you've been breached, you've got to notify within—is it thirty days? I think—is it uh, uh, they have an obligation. The challenge that you've got, as I said, is sometimes you don't even know you've been breached for some two hundred and sixty days, yeah. but then the, remedi- the remediation—you you, know—and and I think you, you know you break. We, we see. Um, data breach has been broken into three constituent areas. One is what we've defined as we just talked about and you, you talked about with Will and others is, is, is hackers, you know, yeah. the, the, the opportunistic or whether the state sponsored thing. The second one is individuals, the insider threat, those users who potentially inadvertently have too much access or are particularly um, re, uh, loyal to that organisation or need to be managed or they may have over over-provision rights. And then the third area we see is system glitches, but of those three components, you know, hackers and uh, in, insider threats or, or your employees are your three are the two primary regions. I think they, are, they account for over 75% of potentially all breaches occur uh, because of one of those uh, two areas.
1: I'm thinking of years ago, <coughs> but Yahoo, when <coughs> <coughs> they got hacked, it took three, four yeah. years for their new better. And and that time, they had actually bought over a company, like Flickr. And suddenly uh, these new users were told you've been hacked as well.
0: Yeah so you know you've got uh, we're, we're not mentioning names but yeah. you know a large a large airline recently announced that they were hacked back in January and it's taken them 3 months to realize that so you know they're going to have to sort of sort of look you know uh, and, and the impact on that is obviously we, we and we've seen it and there's a KPMG report I was reading that has you know the financial impact on brand is quite significant you know people uh, a friend of mine was 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 put, unfortunately um, she Lost her credit card details as a result of the BA hack, and her uh, appetite to to fly with BA was significantly impacted. She chose to fly with a number of other airlines because she didn't trust them, and that sense of trust is, is has a significant impact. Because, as, as you know, yeah. once you've won a customer, it's very and you once you winning a customer is the hardest bit. Losing a customer and then trying to win them back costs something like eight times more in cost to try and win that customer back. So, you know, that organisations have got to understand that. You know data fraud, data theft and fraud, data breach cyber attacks on organizations that they work with or that they are involved in has an impact on their brand and that, that is something that is now financially measurable and people can can, can significantly see the impact on bottom line
1: Because Ben I'm thinking if somebody gets hacked and I'm one of their clients, if they tell me ASAP that we've been hacked and what went wrong, and what we're doing to combat this, I'm going to stay with them because up front and tell me where the flaw occurs, what happens and why they're going to fix it.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, Okay. So you've been transparent and they're open. My question would be, okay, now that you've done it, what are you, what is the steps that you put in place? What is the tools, the platforms to mitigate that? You you know, one of the big uh, things, you know, you see sometimes is, you know, uh, people get broken into. Uh, And what happens is the thief comes back six weeks later, because they know that you've just gone and replaced a lot of the stuff, don't you? You know, so So you've been hacked, and you sort of say, oh, "I'm going to fix that particular hack." Well, my question would be to organisations: okay, they've got, they've exposed you, ill, they've got in one way. Okay, but you need to take a slightly broader, holistic view now and say, "Okay, what is our security policy and our access policy strategy? You know, do we have the right governance platforms? Do we have the right ability to know who's got in? How do we manage those users, etc., etc., etc.? And that is going to become." Uh, as part of that mitigation process, organisations are going to have to be transparent about what else they're doing. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, people are going to say, "Well, if you if you got hacked once, what's to stop it again? And what are you doing around that?"
1: Yeah. If you're to go and say you got hacked and what you doing to to fix it, don't go in detail because if, for example, you said earlier about a burglar, a burglar complex in and then he then that's it. and then suddenly the person who got burgled announces to their neighbours or friends, "Oh, I've put in this new burglar system." Don't give the exact details of what you've done to do it, but just say, I've done this, I've done that. But the more detail you give, the more chance you have of the burglary getting around that.
0: Yeah, but I think you, you don't want to advertise the fact that yeah. what, what platforms and tools that you've got, but you need to obviously have clear, demonstrable evidence. And I think um, you, you talked about it on your, one of the previous podcasts. You know, you said, you know, like we have a fire alarm. Yeah. Um, what we need to see, I think, more and more organisations say, right, what happens and let's role play out, we've been hacked, or, or as you say, maybe we start to look at the this process of people getting into the systems. how do they manage that? And then they, they do that through a um, role play and uh, scenario role-based activity that allows them to then manage to see what would happen. It was interesting, uh, I, I met up with um, a very large publishing company that were hacked, and when they were hacked, they actually, con- they actually went down to a team of, I think it was three or five people that controlled everything, so they had a, communication officer they had a uh, they had a financial guy and they had someone in the it and they managed everything as a control room to get everything back online and then they had a clear strategy of communicating what they did and how they communicated that out to that organization but effectively what they the output from that was that they now moved into this sort of scenario based activity where they sort of every now and again they play out a we've been hacked okay how would we manage that yeah
1: and I guess if you think about this, what are three, three key takeaways from today's businesses that we can take and use once we get recession, et cetera, from the impact of COVID?
0: So I don't, uh, for me, I think this is something that, this isn't post-COVID, this is something that organisations need to do now. So, you know, with an identity governance platform, you know, do you know who has got access to what? How do they get their access? Can you look the auditor in the eye when we go past COVID and say, yeah, we broke glass, but we now have control over people's access. We know what access they get and we know why we gave them access and how we gave them access. How are you then making sure that you are able to have that platform that then gives you that ability to? adapt again i think we've got to be cognizant of that that covid is not going to go away so how does that platform adapt to as the business changes am i able to manage my access and my people's rights within the organization and then how do i actually then make sure that that uh, ability is not only across my critical applications but all my applications whether it be cloud or in the data so you know but perhaps the best way to summarize can i can i confirm who's got access to what can I figure how they've got access to, to that and can I confirm that the access is appropriate and what they're doing is appropriate and if any of those are, I can't answer the yes to, do I have the platform that enables me to mitigate and, and either resolve or get them out of the system quickly?
1: Yeah, because I guess, because what we're living with now is going to be a feature where we're going to see more and more working and et cetera. So you got to make sure that the identity governance is perfectly attuned to that so that it can tell from your location who you are and where you are.
0: Yep. You know it's going to be able to have to adapt to the business it's going to have to be you know agile in in the context of, of making sure that we as we move forward you know we've got to be cognizant of the fact that you know uh, covid is going to be around and you know and it has that intelligence capability as it starts to learn and build out to help you build in some predictive capabilities and then move to what we define as this automated autonomous identity platform that gives gives you the ability and the assurance to know that it's managing your access in certain aspects, uh, in a way that allows you to focus on the right access with the right people at the right time.
1: And I guess also, it's making sure that when you give them some access to your systems, you can hunt guarantee that you give doing that in secure, safe manner as well.
0: Absolutely secure, safe, and actually, do you know what? Uh, when you whatever you do with that access and systems, I can audit and I can control that. And as you promote, get moved change roles, I can then also control and, and have the system to help me uh, uh, ensure that that access in any in no way, shape, or form puts me as an organization at risk.
1: Yeah, because the worst thing is if you work from home and you're using the same Wi-Fi system that your family's using, you've got to have a way of making sure that if it notices it's not secure, it will give you warning signs, tell you you're not secure, do this, do that to make it more secure. Yeah.
0: You know, that's where some of the integration comes in with the UEBA tools. If you do access things through a certain unencrypted Wi-Fi and you've got through that pass, so you've got into the building now, the governance system might start to look at that and say, well, actually, the policy that we've got behind that doesn't look right. Ronan's coming through an unencrypted Wi-Fi. Uh, the policy that, that I've been applied to that particular identity or that access to that particular application now mean, needs me to challenge him. Or I'm not going to give him access because I'm not comfortable that that access is right. And that's where identity governance plays, you know, comes into its, its own as it starts to build out that intelligence.
1: Yeah, I think with the next five, ten years, identity governance is going to be part of everyone's main business uh, milestones and what that's to do to uh, make, yeah. make sure the business is safe and secure.
0: Absolutely, you know. As I said, you know, the firewall is the day of the firewall is, is, is limited. I know, you know, Checkpoint may argue and Cisco may dis- dispute that, but if eighty percent of the people are working from home in less than eight weeks, and we're going to see, as Zuckerberg says, over fifty percent of the workforce is going to be remote and accessing it through you bring your own device. The firewall of people are coming through that you need. Uh, where's the new perimeter? Well, the new perimeter is the identity. Who are you? What have you got access to? And that's what's going to be critical.
1: Yeah, at the moment, my my provider gave me access. I can let people use my broadband and I can use theirs if I want it. But I've actually said no to that because I I don't want somebody accessing my broadband and I'm not sure what they're going to be doing with it or how it's going to be used.
0: So, you know, you need to manage that and and that's going to be, you know, the infrastructures to support Broadband is obviously going to have to be you know, a whole separate conversation. Welcome to have that. But, you know, if you look at what you know the infrastructure providers are going to do and how they're going to have to build in some of that into their capabilities to support more and more people consuming and working from home and, and having that ability to do te- technology like this, as well as obviously uh, – uh, you know, access into their systems. That 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 infrastructure is going to become a critical compartment How you then support that once people are in the system again is critical And we see, you know, you said it. You know, we we we've always believed we've been in Mark. You know, has been around for for over ten years. It was set up by. Uh, a couple of guys who've been in the identity space uh, as long ago as 1980, 1998, and they always saw that actually the, the whole governance, they didn't see identity and access as the challenge, they saw it as identity governance, and mm. that was SailPoint's mantra when it was set up, and that, you know, that's where they've been taking us as an organisation, you know, and we've been recognised you know, by Gartner and Forrester and Cuppinger and as the leader in this space, because we see that identity is going to become the heart and the, the, the nervous system for any organisation to have in place.
1: And I guess right now, you just said earlier, we're, we're in a perfect storm, but if we can control that storm to a certain extent and make sure everything comes back safely, then we're in a good place.
0: Yeah, you got to, the, the storm's coming, mate. You know, I think we both said that, you know, whether people like it or not, whether the COVID thing goes away or whether we get another spike. There's a storm coming. A recession is coming. We're going to see a very different, organ- different workplace. We're going to have a lot of potentially disgruntled people. We're going to have a big shift in this whole working. You've got to have that pre- preparation for that storm and be able to weather that out. Now, you know whether you need to, to sail directly into it. I would argue you probably don't. You need to be able to circumvent that, but have the controls and, and that's where the, the governance platform comes into that. You know, being able to ride that out in a safe, secure way, and as you come out the other side. And you know, if look at what's happened, you know, the internet. Fundamentally changed. You know, iPhone, the internet changed in the last ten years. Was it? Is it 2006? The, the iPhone was first released, and now look, that, look at what that's done in 13 years. Look at what COVID's done in less than eight weeks. Yeah. So the world is significantly changing, and, and people need to be able to adapt to that quickly and have that governance platform in place.
1: Well, there's an irish economist called edmund Williams, and he calls it, "No, a pandemic." That's what we're going to be facing.
0: Uh, it's interesting. I was talking to my cousin. He's an epidemiologist in in America, and he sent me. There's three scenarios uh, around what's going to happen. You know, we're either going to sort of come out with a bumpy storm uh, with COVID, or we're going to have a massive spike, or the worst scenario is is that the spikes that we've had today will just be normal for the next six months. So, you know, we're seeing organisations. I don't know what what it's like in the Irish Times, but at sell point, we are not going back to our offices. So July, August at the earliest, yeah. we're seeing all our events uh, that we were going to attend have been suspended, and we're seeing a lot of our customers saying, "I'm not allowed to travel till January next year." So you know, this has had a massive impact. So this whole shift to remote working, you know, access through um, uh, through uh, bring your own device, bring your own Wi-Fi yeah. is going to be critical, and having that governance behind that is going to be absolutely essential to organisations. And as you, as they come out of that, this isn't just something for covid and, and you know uh, it, this is a platform and a, and a capability that organizations will need now for the next for perpetuity i see
1: well we're looking with our tech news for example we've always been around working because our staff is based all over the all over ireland absolutely and we don't need an office we never have them because we're, we're this a virtual online thing and the only thing is now and again we get to go to cover different events and go to a conference that could be all over the world and I, I was asked to go to one earlier in the year in, uh, in vienna it was in the uh, in the March, I was asked to go to it in early February. I said no because I said I, I know for a fact it's going to, if I do go there, they're going to be a lockdown. I don't even stuck in the country with a lockdown. I'm not risking it. No.
0: no, as I say, you know, but it's interesting, isn't it? You know, the Irish Times is working from home. That's been a culture, you know, I've worked from home for the last so 20 years. But, you know, we were part of that 16% that were working from home prior to that. You yeah. know, you've got over 80% of the workforce now is remote working. Uh, that, you know, has a monumental shift and people won't go back. You know, once, you know, it, you, you speak to the guys who work for me in France and, and in Germany and Italy, they're saying, you know, home working was effectively a no-no in those countries. Well, guess what? Yeah. The French and the Italians and the and the, and the and the Germans and the Spanish have proved that their economies, albeit struggling, they've had some impact on certain areas, but they've managed to, to work. They've managed to still engage and still manage to... Uh, support the support uh, uh, the business and the, and, and the, the economy so you know why would people then want to go back I, i'm intrigued to see the impact that covid had on paris's travel system i don't know if you've been there but you know traveling in paris in the russia was a horrendous situation well you know why would people want to do that any longer if you can do and, and you can get a significant proportion of your work done at home yeah. Why would you not go in later? Why would you only say, well, I only go in a couple of days a week? And I think that's what we're going to start to see uh, organisations. And, and people and individuals will demand it. I want to work from home. I don't want to have to travel every day into an office.
1: Right. Thanks so much for that, Ben. And I'd like to talk on, on identity governance and how it's going to affect our lives in the future. And have a great Thank day.
0: Thank you. Thanks very much, Ron. Have a great rest of the day. Keep safe. Thanks. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. Bro. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye.